0: Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast, the show where we find things to say about baseball every week. My name is Dara McDonald of MLB Trade Rumors, and with me this week is my colleague, Anthony Franco. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm good, Dara. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. It's late August... The baseball season is uh creeping day by day, like all things, and usually, you know, not a crazy time of the year for like news that we cover, because it's not the off season, it's not the trade online, but we got a major thing happened last week, just after we recorded our last episode, which you were covering the side of the time and you described it as seismic, which I thought was a good good use of words. Uh what am I talking about, Anthony?
1: Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, We're definitely not talking about an earthquake. Um, We're talking about Otani's uh, torn or at least partial tear, perhaps maybe a full tear. It's kind of unclear, but at least somewhat torn uh, UCL in his throwing arm. That's going to prevent him from throwing for at least the rest of the season. The Angels haven't decided. Otani hasn't decided yet whether that'll require surgery. It seemed like he was going for additional opinions before deciding whether he can rehab from that without going into the knife and so his long-term return to pitching timeline is kind of up in the air still because it's anything from non-surgical rehab to full Tommy John seems to be on the table uh, he's hitting through it and still hitting very well but he's going to be limited to DH for at least the rest of the season and for the Angels themselves I mean it's unfortunate for their fans and things like that but the team is buried at this point and so the much bigger, I think, overall implication for the league is that obviously Otani's going to be, I would say, the most uh, anticipated free agent, at least since I've worked in baseball and maybe, I mean, of recent memory. And now his market is up in the air a little bit. I mean, I think we're all sort of in agreement that he's still the clear number one player in the class, but whether he's going or to the extent at which he's going to break the free agent record is kind of up in the air at this point based on that kind of uncertainty with his arm health.
0: Yeah, it's such a huge shift because we've been, you know, as Otani has been doing this uh, incredible run that he's been on for the past few years, we've all been sort of looking at this ticking clock of his approaching free agency and you know it never seemed like extension talks with the angels went anywhere so it always seemed like he was going to become a free agent and all of the conversation was about oh can he get 500 million can he get 600 million all all these kinds of conversations and now like the train has just uh, stalled out and it's like I mean, we could talk it in so many different directions now, whereas before it just seemed like he's going to sign like a 10 to 12 year deal with the biggest number as possible. Whereas now it's like maybe he still signs that kind of deal, but like with opt outs to return after he like reestablishes his pitching thing or like maybe he tries to go for some like really high salary thing on a shorter term for like two or three years. So he has time to recover from Tommy John and then go back to the open market. There's all kinds of uncertainty now. But yeah, you're right. We talked about it and we still think he's going to be the top free agent easily just based even if he never pitches again, which, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that's the situation right now. But even in that worst case scenario, he's still the top free agent just based on his hitting prowess. Um, But there's all sorts of confusion, uh, you know, like. I guess the really difficult thing to know is, like, Otani seems like a pretty guarded guy. He At least he doesn't talk to the Western media very much. He talks more to Japanese media. So it's hard to tell what he would want. Do you, do you have any handle on that at all, Anthony?
1: It's not. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, like you said, he's been very reserved. I don't even think that he has spoken with the media about the injury, they've kind of left that to Paramanese and the Angels GM, and I guess to a lesser extent, uh, manager Phil Nevin to kind of talk through the health situation because there was a lot of speculation then. Because Otani, the injury didn't, I wouldn't say come completely out of nowhere. He left recent appearances early. He had some arm fatigue. He had some finger issues. And just kind of generally his pitching performance of late had been kind of clouded by... These sort of minor health concerns nothing that would suggest that he had a a serious elbow injury but sort of repeated minor arm issues so then that led to a lot of questions to the angels about well maybe you should have checked this earlier have you done imaging before and manazian had a a quote that was essentially like yeah we offered when he came out with a finger cramp and otani didn't want to do any imaging because he determined you know it's a finger cramp and i don't think it's related to the elbow And I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, and maybe the elbow just blew out in his last appearance, and anything before that is unrelated. But it does seem like there's kind of been at least a sort of trepidation um, on the players' part, and I guess maybe to a lesser extent the teams, in terms of kind of taking this head on. If that makes sense. I don't want to criticize them too much because I, I again the details are are sparse. But just sort of in general, that there's been a lot of uncertainty about Otani's armor the last couple of weeks that hasn't really been resolved publicly.
0: Otani's market as a free agent, you know, we take questions from people and people wonder about like hometown discounts and, you know, does this player want to play for a winner as opposed to a rebuilding team? And, you know, there are some cases where those things apply, but it usually our default answer is that players will in more cases than not go where the money is the largest. And I think it's like with Otani, it seems like there's there's a couple of X factors that make me wonder if he will be motivated for the largest financial uh, guarantee in free agency or if he will prioritize other things. Because it seems like when he initially came over from Japan... There was probably, I don't know this for sure, but there was probably clubs who had different ideas about like how much they were going to let him pitch and hit or like some clubs probably wanted him to do one. Some wanted him to do the other. Some were like, oh yeah, we'll let you pitch once in a while, but not really. And it seems like maybe the Angels were the ones who, I mean, obviously we've seen over the past few years, they let him do whatever he wanted basically. And so that's something that he's going to have to consider beyond just money is like Coming back from however serious his injury is, whether he requires surgery or not, is different clubs are probably going to have different ideas about how much they want his workload to be, which, you know, it's an unprecedented situation. And then there's also I mean, I don't know how much this matters to him, but other people have said that if he were like playing for the Mets or like the Dodgers, he wouldn't be able to get away with being as, you know, sort of tight lipped as he has been with the Angels, like the media markets are just so different that he wouldn't be able to be as sort of guarded and uh, protected as he has been. So I wonder if those are things that are going to come up beyond just the financial thing. Do you have any uh, handle on that, Anthony, going into the winter?
1: Not specifically, but I think you're right to call it out that this is, I mean, just a completely different free agent in terms of there just are no precedents, both for him as a player and for kind of understanding the decision-making process that'll go into where he lands. I mean, you, you mentioned last time when he came over at that time, he was, I think 23. And if he had waited until he was 25, he could have had such the benefit of what we're going to see with uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto this year, which is like basically unrestricted free agent bidding. And he came over a little bit earlier uh, at a time when he was still technically listed as an amateur under the MLB international signing rules and capped to both like a two and a half million dollar signing bonus or something in that range uh, is what he got from the Angels. And then the traditional six year service go through pre arbitration arbitration before you get back to free agency. And so and even at the time, obviously, nobody knew he would be as good as he's turned out to be on both sides of the ball. But. He was a, a special talent, and if he had waited a couple more years in Japan, could have cashed in you know, exponentially more, probably hundreds of millions of dollars if he had stayed healthy. And he didn't seem to care about that and just wanted to get over here and kind of prove himself. And again, like you said, pick a landing spot where he felt comfortable both um, geographically and culturally and then sort of with the organization allowing him to kind of chart his own course in terms of his workload so it is tough uh because again like normally we go in and just assume that the free agent is going to go where the money uh is highest the overall guarantee is highest and it, it doesn't seem like you can make that assumption based on otani's history
0: well it'll be fascinating to see i mean i have a feeling uh This is an unprecedented free agency, so we don't really know and any prediction is going to be uh, (laughs) unfounded. But uh, my hunch is that, you know, there will be various suitors and Otani will meet with them and discuss, you know, like, well, how are you going to if I sign with you, uh, what's it going to look like? You know, what are the plans, et cetera, et cetera. So much beyond the money. But anyway, we will see. It'll be a fascinating case. And I'm sure we will talk about it much more to the annoyance of the people who are sick of hearing about Otani. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. He's the best and we have to talk about him. Um, so we did an update on the site recently to our power rankings. Otani, as we mentioned, is still at the top. The power rankings came out just after the news of his injury, but he still cracked the number one spot because we still believe that to be the case. But still, apart from that, uh, there was some significant changes since uh, the previous month, wasn't there, Anthony?
1: Yeah, I mean, Cody Bellinger, I think, is is the big one that you're alluding to. He went from, I would say he was probably 11th on the last time we did it. We, we only ranked through 10. He was in consideration, was definitely on the honorable mentions, would have been like 11th or 12th if we had kept going. But at the time, he had just come back off the injured list and it kind of started slowly. Coming back off the IL and the Cubs are easing him back in at first base and it was unclear like when he might get back into center field. And in the last couple of months since then, he's been phenomenal. He's kind of carried the Cubs back into playoff contention. They haven't traded him and he jumped all the way from outside of our top 10 uh, up to number two. Yeah, he's been the
0: most uh volatile of all of the, you know, potential free agents. We had him off the previous one as you mentioned, and I'm trying to look up here where we had him in April. Like his performance like both in his career as a whole and this season has been so up and down that it's been all over the place. Yeah, we didn't have him on the April one either which i guess is unsurprising because he was coming he still hadn't started his bounce back. So, yeah, extremely volatile stock there, but he's just he it seems like he's benefiting from what we've we've talked about on this podcast many times is that the free agent class is so tilted towards pitching. There's a whole bunch of good pitchers and then the impact bats aside from Otani, it's so light, you know, uh you know, Bellinger is, has clearly separated himself cuz the other guys are like, you know, Matt Chapman's not been having a great year overall, and uh, Jamer Candelario is having a good year, but, you know, he's just coming off a non-tender. So, um, you know, there's really, I I guess Teoscar Hernandez, I think, has been hitting better lately, but overall, it's not been as great a season as he's had in the past. So, yeah, the amount of bats is just so light. Um, there's some concern with Bellinger because the exit velocities, like the stat cast type stuff, isn't as strong as his peak, but it's just the lack of bats. I mean, the available bats are so lacking that he might just shoot past what we all thought possible previously. Yeah. And then so behind Bellinger, we keep every time we try to do one of these lists, We have long debates about how to rank all the various different starting pitchers that fill out the rest of the list, and it moves (laughs) seemingly from week to week. Um, Where's your head at with this group (laughs) right now, Anthony?
1: I think we were too high on Julio Arias, honestly. Uh, I think he's... We kind of... We put the list together sort of independently. We put together top tens and then um, just kind of combine it into the best thing that we can as far as consensus goes. And we all had different rankings for the starting pitchers. And we ended up with Arias as fourth and higher than all of the pitchers besides Otani and Yamamoto. And that's largely based on his age and the fact that since he's been, he was on the injured list for about a a month. And since he's come back, he's been very good. And his overall career track record is, is quite good. And he has elite command and it's not power stuff, but it's, good enough stuff and the results are consistently very, very good. I guess my only trepidation with the is just that the whiffs kind of keep going backwards year over year and the velocity keeps going slightly backwards. And I feel like the advantage that he has over a lot of these guys is just that he's so young, but I'm concerned a little bit by the way that the repertoire just isn't overpowering the way that it was even kind of early in his career. And I wonder if that gives back some of the advantage that he has in terms of just being younger than, say, a Montgomery or a Blake Snell.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It it makes his free agency so difficult to peg because it's so rare. Uh, he's going to reach free agency at the age of 27, which is extremely rare for a pitcher. But at the same time, he's he doesn't have that level of dominance where, you know, you can see somebody giving him the Garrett Cole contract, which was I think was nine years like it's it's very rare for pitchers to get that length of a deal so it's you know he has youth on his side but who is banking on this profile you know succeeding into his like mid to late 30s so it's very tough yeah i i was probably the most capricious on arias because i think the last time we did this list i was trying to bump him off completely because he like cody bellinger is also a boris guy so i thought You know, when he was struggling and injured in the middle of the summer, I was leaning towards them taking the Bellinger approach of him signing a one-year deal somewhere and bouncing back, and because he's still so young, he could return to the free agent market. But I don't know; he's been pitching better of late, so I think they'll probably not need to do the one-year deal thing. Yeah, the rest of the guys really difficult to separate because you know, if you're, it depends if you're looking at you know overall health and strikeout rate, and you know Aaron Nola's ERA is like. Wavered from year to year, but the overall profile is more consistent than the ERA. And, you know, Giolito has had his ups and downs. And Blake Snell is really hard to peg because there are times where he looks utterly dominant. And then, you know, there's other times where he looks lost. And, you know, he had the starts like last night where he's walking everybody, but somehow still throws seven good innings. And I don't know. It's very, very difficult. But, um, for teams that need pitching, there's going to be a lot. And, uh, it'll be an interesting free agent class in that sense. Okay, so moving on to another headline this week. I mean, the top story, the main takeaway there was that as talented as these players are that we love to watch, the uh, the human body is undefeated in terms of being fallible. And we saw that with Otani. As much as he's continued to amaze and astound us, his body is going to be a factor going forward. And another guy who reached astounding heights with his talents, but was limited by his bodies. Steven Strasburg announced – well, not sorry, he didn't announce. It was reported this week that he is going to announce at an upcoming press conference that he will retire despite still having several years left on his contract. Were you, I mean, in a sense, it's surprising in the larger scope of his career that it's come to this, but based on how things have gone in recent years, it's actually not that surprising. Right, Anthony?
1: Yeah, I would agree with all that. I mean, he's made uh, 10 starts since 2020, it looks like. Uh, Sorry, eight. And it's just the thoracic outlet syndrome really has just, I mean, devastated him. It seems like every time he's started on a rehab, like the second that he would pick up a ball, essentially, the pain would come back and he'd be shut back down indefinitely. And then he would start the whole process over a few months later, and it would barely get off the ground. And so it's not too surprising that eventually it got to a point where he just said, I can't do it anymore. And he's kind of talked about, or at least uh, I think Jesse Doggard has at least reported that there are just sort of basic quality of life um, aspects that have been affected by the pain, just like in terms of holding his children and things like that. So obviously you hope just for him as a, as a person that he gets to a point where that's not impacting his day-to-day life and he can enjoy retirement as just kind of a normal person. Um, obviously from his career perspective, it's unfortunate that it ended like this. Um, the contract that you mentioned just turned out to be an absolute disaster for the nationals, but before that free agent deal, he was really good for almost a decade. And so I think the sort of, you know, when you look back at kind of overall his career, it does feel like, oh, okay, there's maybe a, a missed opportunity or something like that that maybe you know there was more in the tank and it's unfortunate that he was essentially out of the league by the time he turned 31 but at the same time his peak was incredible and it helped him to a world series and he had a good I think like eight-year run um a lot of the sort of Strasbourg narrative has been that it was like oh kind of a, a stop and start this guy was really good when healthy, but he can never just stay healthy. And I don't think that's entirely true. He had the Tommy John early, and obviously his career was cut short. But between 2012 and 2019, he ranked 17th in league in innings. He finished in the top five of Cy Young a couple times. He made three All-Star games. Obviously had the 2009 season where, or 2019 season where he led the National League in innings and helped the Nats to a World Series, won the World Series MVP. So really good career um obviously you wish it would have ended in a way that's more commensurate with his peak but really really good player for a good chunk of the decade
0: yeah i'm I'm glad that you really focused on the uh the human aspect uh because that was something that jumped out to me as well i mean Strasbourg has been in the spotlight for so long uh because you know even before he got called up you know i was reading these stories about uh his retirement this week and remembering that, you know, when he was starting in double a, you know, he was getting like national broadcast, like they were showing them on ESPN and stuff like that. And so he was such a hyped prospect even before he had reached the majors. And then, you know, when he reached the majors, then it was like must viewing. And, uh, he had a great career that you highlighted. And so he's been like this, you know, baseball is this TV show that we all watch. And he's been a star of that show. But you mentioned like the human – we sometimes forget that these are human beings and that the things that they do to push their bodies to these extremes impact their real lives. And so, yeah, that was the thing that jumped out to me was it was reported that his nerve damage is such that like basic tasks like picking up his kids and opening doors are causing him discomfort. So it sounds like he's making the right choice for himself to shut it down now and not – try to keep coming back and so all the best to him and hope that he can chart a good path forward for himself and tip of the cap on that career okay so let's get to some questions here we put the call out to question uh to get questions from you and we got a lot of questions about pete alonzo which is unsurprising because he uh, like Otani is probably going to be one of the big stories of the offseason because the Mets, uh, as you all noticed, have been selling off pieces. And Alonso is sort of the big question mark now because he has one arbitration season remaining. He's slated for free agency after 2024. And so the big question is, do they extend him and keep him around as part of the next future core? Or because they are taking, uh, seem to be taking a step back in 2024, do they trade him to continue restocking the farm system like they did with the Verlander and Scherzer trades and the others? So the first question from Dan is uh, essentially if the, the Brewers would be a fit. Uh, do you see a fit there, Anthony?
1: Sure. Uh, I think that's partially related to Ken Rosenthal reporting that the Brewers and the Cubs, so I, I think we'll get to in a minute. Um, we're among the teams that discussed Alonzo with the Mets at the deadline. The Brewers ended up getting Carlos Santana instead, but he's obviously not the same player, and he's going to be a free agent this year anyways. Rowdy Tellez seems like a non-tender candidate to me. Obviously, he's not standing in the way of Pete Alonso. So first base is pretty much open there. DH is kind of open as well. It's going to be a lofty sum for a Milwaukee club that, Rice in the middle towards like the bottom half of the league in payroll. I think that his arbitration salary is, I mean, he's making, I believe it's 14 million this year. He'll probably be somewhere around 18 million, maybe 20 ish uh, for his final arbitration season, something like that, uh, which is a lot for Milwaukee, but it's one year and he's an impact player and they're really good right now and they both need offensive help and first base help specifically. So yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah, it, would, it, it makes sense uh, from like a roster construction standpoint. They definitely could use an upgrade at first base. It would be interesting from a sort of a different perspective in the sense that, you know, we've seen Milwaukee as sort of a smaller market team usually be the club trading away the arbitration players. We saw it with Josh Hader, and um, it seems like maybe it's going to come up again this winter. There's been a lot of speculation because they have three pretty significant arbitration uh, raises coming up in um, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Willie Adamas. And it's sort of assumed, like not reported, but assumed by many because of the typical budgetary limitations in Milwaukee that they would probably have to give up one of those three with people usually picking Burns as the most likely. But I mean, that's something that will come up presumably in this offseason. So it would be an interesting pivot if they were to be willing to Take on the notable arbitration salary of Alonso, which would go against their recent MO. Um, one other thing that's interesting with Alonso, I think, is um, you know if you get him now, obviously there's going to be the financial cost, but also you will probably have to give the Mets something prospect-wise. But uh, you know he'll be qualifying offer eligible at the end of. 2024 so you'll at least be able to recoup something uh if you get him for that one year moving on to the next question which is also alonzo based Xander is asking about the fit with the cubs um fits there anthony
1: also makes sense to me um you know i mean they've been playing bellinger slash Jamer Condolario at first base and both those guys are free agents now they could bring either one back uh so I think that they'll presumably they'll try um to retain the free agents first but if both those guys walk then there's really no in-house solution at first base they have Matt Mervis who's a good prospect and has hit well in AAA but Kind of struggled in a brief major league look, and he's like 25 and hasn't established himself at the major league level. And so, you know, you want to give Mervis an opportunity, but if you're going into next year competing, I don't think you want to just hand him the first base job. And the, you know, if Mervis hits and you trade for Alonso at the same time, then you can play one of them at first base and one at DH, you can make it work. So I imagine that they'll look at uh, the free agents first that they have and see kind of gauge the market on those guys before they turn to the trade market. But if they lose Bellinger and Candelaria, then sure, Alonso makes a lot of sense there, too.
0: Yeah, you make a good point there about Mervis, because even this year, there was a lot of people who, uh, you know, Cubs fans who wanted Mervis to just have the first base job out of spring training. But the Cubs, they, at least they brought in Eric Hosmer uh, to sort of provide some level of competition for Mervis. I mean, Hosmer since been released, but... Yeah, it seems like they're not just going to go in handing him the job. So presumably they would take a similar tack coming into this spring of at least getting somebody. Could be Alonzo, could be somebody else. We also got a question from Will, who also wants to know about Pete Alonzo, and he wants to know if the twins could be a fit. How about that, Anthony?
1: Minnesota is a tougher one for me to see, um, just because they have so many bat first players already. Now, they can move guys around. Uh, They have Edward Julian, who's been playing a lot of DH, and he's nominally a second baseman or a third baseman, but he's not a very good infielder, and he might be just better suited as a DH. They have Matt Walner, who can play first base, also can kind of play the corner outfield, probably better suited as a DH, but he's functional on defense. Um, Alex Kirilov, same sort of thing. Now, all those guys hit left-handed, and Minnesota has had issues hitting left-handed pitching this year. They've, they've been very lefty-leaning as a lineup. And so a right-handed bat, and obviously Alonso would fit regardless of your handedness needs because he's just an incredible hitter. But to me, I think that there's probably too many moving parts for Minnesota to make that work, at least uh, in comparison to some of these other teams.
0: Yeah, they always seem to have – it always seems to be coming up with the Twins where somebody is injured and then somebody is moving to a new position uh, almost on like a weekly basis. So it's tough to know uh, where it's going to end up at season's end. Um, But, I mean, it is interesting. Uh, They went after Joey Gallo this year to try and be like, this is the big bat we're adding to the lineup. Uh, Mixed results there. But, you know, I don't know. I I could see it like the Twins are sometimes – a bit more aggressive with uh, free agents and trades than they get credit for. You know, we've seen them give out some big deals lately, the Buxton extension and the Korea contract. So uh, they're an interesting uh, sleeper pick there, but yeah, you're right. It depends on um, where Kirilov is and all these other, like where are you fitting Julian and where are you fitting Polanco and lots of moving parts. So it'll be, I don't think Alonso will be like their plan a going into the off season but it'll be interesting the the lack of bats that we've been talking about with bellinger uh will play in with uh alonso as well because he's uh the kind of difference making bat that is not really available in free agency But that is it for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for all of your questions. Um, You know that we are going towards off-season mode on the site. We had the power rankings this week, and we're going to start getting into off-season outlooks and things like that because there's only about one month left on the schedule. So it's time to start looking forward to the exciting off season. Um, So check out MLB to follow along with all of that. You can sign up for the newsletter and get our analysis sent directly to your email and continue checking out the pod. And if you sign up for the front office package, you'll get extra stuff in your email that is not on the regular site and you'll get the ads off of there, which, you know, would be great. So continue checking out all of the extended MLBTR universe, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to visit MLBTradeRumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLBTradeRumors.com.